Yeah, you are indeed with us. I'm Alec Hogg and look forward to being in your company over the next 60 minutes. Uh, we've got a full show for you. The GDP, in other words, South Africa's economy, surprised on the upside. Our guest co-host on a Tuesday night, Stephen Nathan, will be weighing in alongside top economists Kevin Lings of Stanlib and Mike Schussler of the Brenthurst Group. And then we're going to look very closely at what's going on at Eskom. Ted Blom, who is an outspoken critic, uh, will be giving us his insights, uh, followed by Sikonati Manchancha, who is the spokesperson for Eskom, former financial journalist who only knows how to shoot straight. And we'll close off the program tonight with more insight into what's going on with Grand Parade Investments, a black company that's trying to sell Burger King to an international investor and is being blocked by the Competition Commission. But before we get into any of that, it's time for the markets. Here's Justin Rowe Roberts. Bright Rock believes that with every change in life comes opportunity and the markets aren't any different. The daily movement in the markets mean change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. This daily market report is made just for you by Bright Rock, the first ever needs meshed life insurance that changes as your life changes. Big day, Justin. Not so much, Alec. The JSE All Share Index was flat at 67,600. In the currency markets, the rand weakened for the first time in a while against all the major currencies to 13 rand 56 cents to the dollar, 19 rand 20 cents to the pound, and 16 rand 53 cents to the euro. Looking at commodities, the the gold price increased slightly to $1,893 an ounce. In rand terms, it increased even more as a result of the weakening rand. Good for your Kruger rands up more than 27,500 rand. This, this is an estimate as I'm just taking the, the gold price times the, the um, dollar rand price. Uh, Brent crude is up $71.80 a barrel. Silver's down and platinum's up. Good for the PGM producers. If we look at the individual company moves today, after a 16% start in the first hour of the day, Life Healthcare is only 1% up. You would think given the cho- the chilly Joburg mornings that there might have been some fat fingers this morning. Vakile property company up 5% to 10 rand and 60 cents. Mass Real Estate's up 4% to 17 rand and 68 cents. The losers for the day, we look at Old Mutual down 3.5% to 13 rand and 60 cents. And PSG Consult, uh, the PSG's group advisory division, down 3% to 11 rand 36 cents. I know you got really excited this morning about life healthcare, so it was fat fingers. It had to be fat fingers. I mean, a, a top 40 company up 16%. I was having a look. That's more than 10 billion of value added on no news. It didn't make any sense to me, Alec. Uh, are some um, insiders, I would call them, they're not currently at the company. They used to work there. They had no idea. It had to be fat fingers. And although Bloomberg did post, um, there's been a few drug approvals in the U.S. um, with regards to Alzheimer's um, that were linked to life health care. But clearly the market um, backtracked as the day went on. Linked to everybody, I guess, uh, with Alzheimer's. because, But to see a 16% increase like that, maybe what happened was somebody put in a buying order and put the wrong number on it. And some lucky fish uh, sold at a much higher price. I, I'm interested to hear that Mass Retail, the property company that's based in Poland, and we spoke with the CEO a little while ago, and it, it seemed like an exciting opportunity. Over 17 bucks today. Yes, exactly. Martin uh, Slabbert, uh, the CEO there, 
Um, as we were talking about yesterday, I think it is time to maybe move some money offshore. With mass, you can have it random-nominated, but all their earnings are, are in pounds and euros. So you're getting that, that dividend in sterling, which is awesome. And then just another thing that uh, stood out for me, Tungul, Tungele Resources, uh, the newly listed uh, uh, coal company that spun off out of Anglo Gold, up more than 25% today. No, so it lost 25 yesterday in London. Uh, what was it, about 14% here, and then a quick rebound. Maybe our story had something to do with it because we spoke with the chief executive who rubbished the hedge funds report that said they were worth zero. Exactly, and these NEMA regulations, I had a look, a deeper look into it. They're only coming into, uh, into power in 2022, and um, as July and Lovu said, it's, it's not set in stone. Interesting for me to see the pound today at 19 Rand 20. I recall when we went to the UK for our little stint over there to set up Business UK, it was trading at 23 Rands. Well, that's your market report for the day. This market report was made just for you by Brad Rock, the first ever needs matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. South Africa's Minister of Health, Dr. Zweli Mkize, has been placed on special leave by President Cyril Ramaphosa amid a scandal over his involvement in securing lucrative contracts for friends. President Ramaphosa's office said that the period of special leave will enable the minister to attend to the allegations. The special investigating unit has been called in to probe the allegations of corruption. Minister of Tourism, Ms. Mamaloko Kubayengobane, will serve as Acting Minister of Health. COVID-19 sequencing in Singapore has underscored the highly infectious nature of India's variant, which is also known as Delta. Singapore is one of the only places in the world to sequence all its COVID-19 cases, and its data provides the most thorough glimpse yet of how the Delta variant spreads more rapidly. The strain has been identified in more than 60 countries over the past six months, and concerns are growing that it may extend the pandemic in some places. Delta has been linked to unusual symptoms like hearing loss and blood clots leading to gangrene, which suggests its impact may be more severe than other strains. In England and Scotland, early evidence suggests it carries a higher risk of hospitalisation. Johannesburg-listed Life Healthcare jumped in value after the US Food and Drugs Administration approved Biogen's Alzheimer's drug. The FDA approval makes Biogen the first new Alzheimer's drug in almost 20 years. Life Healthcare rose as much as 18% to the highest level since April 2019. News partner, the Wall Street Journal, says the approval of the therapy, which has the molecular name aducanumab, will be sold as aduhelm and marked a watershed in Alzheimer's drug research after billions of dollars in investment. South Africa's economy is stuck in its longest downward cycle since World War II. Policy paralysis and weak business sentiment weigh on fixed investment spending, with private sector companies wary to commit large sums of money to domestic projects. Gross domestic product grew an annualised 4.6% in the three months through to March from the previous quarter. But Statistics South Africa says that GDP contracted 3.2% year-on-year in the period. This is the fourth straight quarter of decline and a bigger drop than was projected, which means output is still down from a year ago when the pandemic started spreading. And that was your BizNews Flash Briefing. I'm Jackie Cameron for BizNews. For more on those and the other big stories of the day, visit biznewsradio.com. Our guest co-host on a Tuesday, Stephen Nathan, is with us now. Well, lots of interesting things in the program this evening, Stephen. Starting off with the whole story about Grand Parade Investments. Now, here is a black company uh, funded by poor people 
primarily from the Cape Flats, put together by Hassan Adams, who's black, and they've brought Burger King into South Africa. They want to sell that asset. Uh, it's doing about a billion and a quarter uh, rands a year in turnover. So a, a pretty good business. However, they're being blocked by the Competition Commission, which I suppose uh, to the rational mind sounds rather strange. Without a doubt, Alec, I think this, you know, this is almost a black swan event. And I'm sure the people in this transaction, uh, you know, it's taken them by complete surprise because we've never had this as a precedent whatsoever. Um, you know, and it raises so many questions. If we look at it from a grand parade uh, uh, perspective, you look at their shareholders, um, you know, they, they, they want to realize value for an asset that they've, as you say, they brought into the country. Um, and and they want to redeploy that into more attractive uh, investments for them. So as an investor, you want to be able to um, you know buy and sell assets uh, freely in a in a in a free market, uh, you know, with willing buyer, willing seller. And to have this sort of a onus put on you, uh, you know, is 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 a terrible signal to investors because. Uh, investing is hard enough as it is. We all know how hard it is to invest and to start businesses, uh, especially in South Africa, which is a low growth uh, environment. Um, you know, if you look at Grand Parade, the share price, I mean, it's, it's, it, it was, it was two rand 90, uh, 10 years ago. Uh, it's two rand 65 today. So, you know, if we, if we, if we're looking at empowerment and we're trying to create a more inclusive economy, we want to do as much as possible to make it conducive for everyone not just uh, uh, BE investors, but for everyone. And here it seems that, that, that they seem to be shot in the foot. And I think as well, it's, 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 it's almost boggles the mind as why this would be a competition issue. Because within the competition uh, commission remit, you know, there's many uh, issues that they have to uh, consider. BE is one, yes, but there's other very important issues they have to consider as well. Uh, the impact on the economy, impact on growth, uh, and I believe that the new investors were going to invest significantly uh, in Burger King. So they expansionary investors. They're here to grow the business, to open up many more stores and create a lot of employment. And, you know, that's that's not going to happen uh, if they're not allowed in. Mm. It is a rather strange uh, decision by the Competition Commission, particularly uh, that they, their remit is to do with competition. And there's no issues on that front. It's some other nebulous uh, general public interest uh, that they're throwing up there. But anyway, we'll, we'll no doubt uh, get more insights into that in time. The other big issue of the moment is Eskom and the load shedding that's going on now. now a outspoken critic, uh, Ted Blom, and we'll be hearing from him later in the program, tells us that Eskom was actually on load shed- shedding level six, not the load shedding level two that we've been told. I guess it's it's impossible to uh, score that one either way. But what I'd love to hear from your perspective is when Neil Froneman was on our program a week ago, he said that Sibanya Stillwater has been desperately trying to start its own electricity producing plant uh, from renewable sources but is being blocked by DME because they need to produce more than 10 megawatts or have a plant of bigger than 10 megawatts, and that's the cap. It just seems silly that uh, if there are companies that can produce more electricity, they're not being allowed to do that. Without a doubt, Alec, I mean, it, it, it boggles the mind, as you say. You know, when you have a vibrant private sector 
that is uh, willing to put its hand up and to say, listen, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll help solve the problem. We'll take on the risk uh, of, uh, of financing our own power generation. Uh, and you've got, uh, you know, you've got companies with a great track record that are going to add value to the economy. Once again, from a growth perspective, from an employment perspective, uh, and, you know, the thing about, the thing about companies investing and creating jobs is that it's never, it's never one job. You know, for every, uh, for every plant you build, uh, and person you employ, well, you're going to have subcontractors, you're going to have steel suppliers, you're going to have a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, uh, secondary impacts of people that it's going to impact. Uh, and then for the employment you create, there's a multiplier effect. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's very, Concerning, and one can't understand it because I think the reasons that government has given do not do not make sense and do not add up. And you know, we've spoken about it on the show. You know, uh, to bring the private sector in and to and to have these uh, uh, public-private partnerships is definitely a way for us to improve uh, the position from from where we are. It sounds irrational, but if you think of the dog in the manger concept. Uh, Eskom cannot provide the electricity South Africa needs, but it won't let other people provide them. And of course, the the immediate reaction from rational people is, uh, well, there's there are too many hands that want to be fed. There's too many uh, sticky fingers and or, or snouts in the trough, and that's becoming a uh, increasing refrain from people who otherwise would be a lot more sensible or a, a lot more sober about those kind of judgments? Uh, uh, yes, you know, I, I think it's very difficult, you know, when you have governments as your, <laughs> as your sole shareholder, uh, you know, then immediately, uh, you know, you're not operating on commercial terms. You're operating on lots of other fuzzy, fuzzy terms. And it's not really just one government department because, you know, you've got, uh, 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 in this case, I believe it's uh, uh, public enterprises plus it's minerals uh, and energy. So, you know, you're operating... A, in a, in, a, in, a, in a minefield. And I would imagine that, uh, you know, for management, uh, it's very difficult because really how much, how much uh, accountability and responsibility uh, do you have to, to, to address these issues? Because so much of it is out of your control uh, and so much of it is probably just lobbying with your own, uh, your own shareholders. And I think your own shareholders, as I mentioned, those various departments have probably got very differing views. Uh, and, 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 you know, added to that, uh, you've got uh, uh, corruption, uh, and uh, catered de- uh, deployments. So, you know, there are a lot of issues that need to be uh, resolved. And it's just a pity that, uh, that I believe the president can't take a stronger stance and start to actually address some of these problems because the more we perpetuate it, uh, you know, the more frustrated uh, people are going to get and the less investment we're going to have and we're all going to be losers at the end of the day. And even government because uh, government's going to lose out on, on tax receipts because if corporate profits don't, don't, uh, don't grow, then uh, the government is going to earn less tax because that's where that's where they earn a big chunk of their profits. Uh, and and we know with the latest GDP figures that the absolute number of GDP is not not growing in real terms. So if the government uh, uh, you know uh, wants to increase tax and have less of a burden on taxpayers, it has to actually uh, be pro business and uh, you know, uh, implement policies or even have partnerships that enable growth and enable companies to, to prosper, to create more jobs and hopefully to, to increase the tax base in South Africa. Well, we had some pretty good news 
at last for the South African economy, or was it? Uh, welcome to Kevin Lings, who's the chief economist at Stanlib, and Mike Schussler, uh, who is with economist.co.za and also works with, uh, well, a man well known to us, Magnus Hastex, Brenthurst Wealth. Uh, we also have our guest co-host, Stephen Nathan, uh, participating here. But maybe, Kevin, kicking off with you, are the numbers as good as uh, outsiders like us are uh, presuming them to be? Thanks, Alec. Yeah, they're not bad overall. I guess they're better than what uh, you would have expected. Uh, most guys were looking for a growth rate just over 3%. So the fact that the growth rate is over 4%, almost 5%, you would have to say that was certainly encouraging. Um, I guess uh, where you've got to be a little bit more circumspect is that the nature of the growth still isn't what you'd really want. And in particular, we just don't have the fixed investment dynamic unplaying in this economy. So this is very much uh, consumption driven. Uh, there's a bit of commodity price effect coming through, which is very welcome. I think there's a little bit of uh, online um, e-commerce activity that has picked up. But the growth that you really after that will generate employment is is fixed investment, and I, and I don't see any sign of it. And it's something that should have started to materialise given the government's insistence on getting infrastructure started quickly, and also this idea of public public private partnerships being able to kick off quite quickly. So there are it's good news overall, but there are some areas uh, where we're just not gaining traction. Mike, just to follow on on the fixed investment, I understand from people I know in the construction industry that they're getting busy, that uh, certainly they, the work is coming through, but are we still a long way from where we need to be as far as kicking uh, the economy into gear is? Yeah, absolutely. I think the construction industry at the moment is basically doing more conversions of offices into flats and stuff like that. So I don't see much groundwork. In fact, I drove past a place where the groundwork was done probably more than a year ago, and it looks exactly the same. Looks like the project is not going on. Um, one does see a bit on the residential side, but I think you know, in the um, we're coming to the end of big shopping mall construction, big office construction. We've still got some remnants coming through. Um, the other part, I think Kevin uh, will also tell you, um, with these high commodity prices, I mean, we saw record uh, uh, sales in March of $75 billion. Uh, This week, Thursday, we find out what the April sales are, but that's just mineral, uh, you know, minerals flowing uh, into this. Uh, that is a huge amount of money, uh, $75 billion in one month, I think you'd agree. And we've seen that trajectory really increased, yet we're not getting evidence that the mining industry is investing more. They might be doing things a bit cleverer, but they're still hanging back. And I think that uncertainty in the regulations are playing a role there, definitely. But I do think um, the one thing I'd like to say is mining and querying was a quarter of our growth, and that was really commodity price driven. I looked at the um, uh, commodity price index from The Economist, uh, uh, all economists look at these things from now on, but it's at a record high. Um, you know, along with that, you've got the transport prices at a record high. I'm um, talking about uh, that will feed into our inflation rate later, but that's um, not the trucking, but the, the containers and uh, that. I think it's the first time uh, that containers to Europe from China cost over $1,000 a container. Um, that's a huge number. 
So the transport was also looking quite good, and so was the finance, real estate, and business services. And I think part of the business services we saw, there was a bit of a huge increase. The biggest increase of everyone was in that finance, real estate, and that was security services. Mm-hmm. Um, so with a lot of unemployed people, you know, and, and, and probably the crime that goes along with it, uh, people are uh, employing security guards, left, right, and center. So there's probably something in that. We don't know the, 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 the small, you know, detailed sectors, but certainly I think um, that's it. But nothing else to write home about. I would, I would agree with um, Kevin. And you need to come back. We need that travel, leisure, tourism, um, you know, entertainment, uh, the big rugby matches, football matches, uh, theatres, everything coming back before we can really get talk about uh, 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 growth again. At the moment, it's all a recovery. And a lot of that recovery is driven by prices rather than fixed investment. Um, and that's the long and the short of it. Stephen Nathan, uh, from your perspective, you have an investor background uh, in investment analysis uh, at 10x uh, where you would invest on the basis of the data that you provided with. What you're seeing from the GDP, is this making you want to open your uh, your wallet and put more money into JSE companies, particularly those that, as Mike was explaining, are benefiting, which would be in the resources sector? Uh, yes, thanks, Alec. I think you know it's a difficult question because um, if you look at GDP growth, there often isn't a great correlation between doing well in the stock market and good GDP growth. So that's the first thing to be a little bit uh, wary wary of. So there's been pairs, for example, where China's been phenomenal in GDP growth, but actually the stock market returns haven't always been great. Uh, but clearly, to have a positive GDP environment, you're going to get much more uh, domestic uh, consumption, and hopefully the domestic companies are going to do uh, better. But also GDP is a lagging indicator. So it's telling us what's happened in the first three months of this year, and the stock market tends to look for 12 to 18 months. So you can see uh, we know mining, uh, the resources sector has been a phenomenal uh, driver of the JSE, and that's really the leading indicator. And now lagging, we can see that coming through strongly in GDP. So I don't think there's anything uh, in and of itself that would get people overly excited in the GDP data from a stock market perspective. I think that uh, investors would take heart from government actually implementing policies that are that are pro-growth. So it's been mentioned, lack of infrastructure, uh, uh and creating a much more business-friendly environment. I mean, we've just seen a disastrous job number coming out uh, as well. So there's fewer and fewer people participating in this economy, and that means that you're not going to get consumption and inclusiveness. And also, I think it's worth bearing in mind, if you look at the absolute number of GDP, and the economists can correct me, but I think this is right, uh, for the quarter, it's 761 billion rand is the absolute value of GDP in real terms. But if you go back uh, to 2014, the number was about 750 billion in Inflation adjusted. So we've barely grown uh, over seven years the size of this economy, and the population has grown quite considerably. And those are the kind of uh, ratios and factors that I think investors looking forward would uh, would want to see improved. That's quite a scary number, Kevin Lings. If our economy has done nothing in real GDP terms over the past six years, and yet we know that the population grows at 1.5% a year. So if you divide the, 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 the economy by the number of people in the country, we're actually all getting poorer. 
That's exactly right. That's the disaster, I think, that's unfolding in this country. And it's kind of not noticed from one GDP data to the next. And it, it kind of happens over a long period of time. But what you're saying is exactly right. So income per person has been going down. We know that uh, there's a high degree of income inequality in South Africa. So a certain portion of the population, I guess, doesn't experience that. But the vast majority would find that their purchasing power has been eroded. And they would kind of look around and assess that they just can't have the lifestyle that they've had previously. When you then took the, you take that income per capita and you put it into a global context, that's when it really gets bad. Even with the currency stronger where it is now, we've just lost so much ground relative to our international purchasing power. So effectively, this country is going backwards. And it's, it's one of the reasons why we need much higher growth. It's fine if you're in Japan where you don't have a population growth or most of Europe where you don't have populations growth. Then you can afford to have a much lower rate of growth, the, the level of development, the level of employment is so much higher. In South Africa, we can't afford it, not even for one year. And as Stephen's saying, we've been doing that actually now pretty much for the last 10 years. And it and over time, gee, it hurts. Uh, and it hurts our companies enormously. So they've got to look at other investment opportunities. Mm. Mark Schussler, we're also getting mixed messages, it appears, from government. The uh, desire by the presidency to bring in foreign investment. And then you get a foreign investor wanting to buy a sta- uh, buy Burger King. And they're being blocked at the Competition Commission. Uh, it's almost like, <laughs> let's just get our basics right. You know, Alec, I would say we, we, we've got a government that isn't a government. It's, it's a, a government that's looking for ways for um, the ministers to make money rather than uh, to look for the best outcomes for our population. And, uh, you know, what Kevin said, I just want to put into context, 2014 was the richest South Africans ever were. Uh, we've dropped so far, okay, partly due to COVID, but since then we've been getting poorer every year. Even if we grow, our population grows 1.5%. So if you grow 1%, you get a bit poorer. And uh, at this moment in time, using um, the, the consensus of BILT, um, which is about 34 or so economists, for this year and the Reuters for next year, and then after that, the IMF and World Bank forecast, we're going to be uh, back, if we're lucky, to uh, 2014 levels uh, just after 2030. So, um, you know, it it, it puts it into perspective that for 20 years, South Africans would have been poorer than they were in 2014. It it is something that doesn't make sense. And the fact that the politicians don't fix the electricity problems, they don't fix the water problems, uh, having personally experienced both in the last week and being fed up with it, I think, you know, quite frankly, um, it's becoming a mess. And uh, it says something about your politicians when they point out other problems, but every opportunity in South Africa that presents itself, whether it's PPE equipment, vaccines, we find there's fingers in the till. And um, the fingers are still in the till in ESCOM, and to try and turn that around becomes ever bigger problem. And, um, you know, it's, it's, if it isn't for... I think the private sector in the main and for just normal people out there, um, this would have been a lot bigger. You know, I look at people getting picked up because the trains don't work by normal citizens in cars and um, I because the guys don't have the money to pay for a taxi. I look at 
I look at that stuff on the West Rand coming into Joburg, and I just take my hat off and say, you know, there's a lot of good Samaritans out there that are keeping people alive effectively. We don't have trains anymore. Our buses don't work. Electricity doesn't work. Water doesn't work. You know, quite frankly, it, it is frightening. It is frightening for many people, and it, it shouldn't be like this. And the fact that the politicians don't change anything, they talk big, but nothing changes, is even more worrisome. But surely there's a tipping point in all of this. We are a democracy. We can uh, vote. Uh, we can change things. It's in our hands. Uh, Stephen Nathan, <laughs> why aren't we doing that? Or, or has that tipping point perhaps been reached now with all with a lit, litany of of uh, dismal uh, issues that that we face with I, I was actually hoping by the way that this would be an uplifting a uh, conversation given that the gdp figures are better than anticipated but i suppose uh, longer term uh, Stephen nathan we've got other issues that we need to consider uh, yes, Eric, exactly right. I mean, uh, you know, in theory, if the population is unhappy, they will they will vote uh, the government out. But to be honest, it doesn't seem that like that is a likely scenario for the next election and for the elections thereafter. And it's a it's a very difficult one to understand. I mean, I'm no political uh, uh, expert, but we know that uh, you know there's tremendous sentiment uh, in favour of the ANC, despite their track record in power and despite service protest deliveries. Um, but, uh, you know, it is, it is disappointing that, uh, that the ANC seem to be uh, um, unchallenged in power. And I, I remember uh, one of uh, the president's quotes is why they finally took action on, uh, on ACE. Uh, Magashulu is, 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 is that it was starting to hurt them at the polls. But, you know, quite frankly, if that is what's going to get you going and going to start to address these sort of issues, then, you know, then we are in trouble. And one of the one of the problems as well is that the ANC is looking after the population with social grants. So I'm not sure of the exact number, but it's something like, who knows, 14 to 7 million social grants. And now we're giving another 10 million in emergency mm-hmm. relief, 18 million. You know, so it's almost as if, you know, are they buying votes uh, and kind of blinding people, you know, you're giving people a short-term incentive and they aren't able to uh, look forward and see the long-term impact of them and their children and future generations uh, of that. So, you know, I think there's a big question mark around, uh, uh, you know, what is happening with the tax receipts and votes because we know that service delivery is just out- outrageously poor. And I think, Alec, you saw uh, earlier this week there was something uh, that uh, our ports, four of our ports, are ranked in the bottom out of 350, including in Africa. Now you can't you can't run an economy if you're not only your infrastructure, but just getting goods in and out the country. And we are, you know, exports are really important to South Africa. So we fall short in so many areas in the uh, in the government sector, and we we haven't yet seen a catalyst for. Uh, for change from the government. Well, let's hope that being a democracy, uh, people will uh, wake up to this reality. I, I for one, uh, believe that we are blessed by our people, as Bobby Godsell said, but cursed by our governors. Uh, Just give me some uh, uplifting uh, thoughts, perhaps, Kevin and Mike, as we we close off this uh, segment from those GDP figures. What in there can we draw some hope from? Uh, Alec, from my perspective, um, if you're looking you know, at the positive side, the fact that most of the sectors recorded positive growth, that's good. In other words, you can talk about a reasonably broad-based recovery, even if you don't have the fixed investment side. 
Uh, to me, that's encouraging. Clearly, the commodity cycle, the rebound in global trade, that's a huge uplift. And, and we can ta- we've got to take what we can get. And I think that's, and that's a significant benefit right now. Um, the, I, this idea around infrastructure, government is very aware of it. It's not as if the president's office is oblivious to this issue or that they are oblivious to the overregulation of business. So, so the, the utterances from them are, remain encouraging. I, I, I think it's, it's down to a lack of implementation, and, and maybe we start to see some movement in that regard. So I think there are a couple of things on the horizon that could come about in a more positive way. We, when I listen to the Eskom CEO talking about most of the maintenance being completed by September, maybe we end up with a slightly better electricity environment. There are glimmers there. We just need to build on it a bit more convincingly. And critically, we've got to convince the business sector that the future outlook is good so that you start to unlock their balance sheet. They're the only people remaining in this country that have a balance sheet. You can't grow an economy without a balance sheet, and business has the balance sheet. We've got to unlock that balance sheet. And business is is not going to unlock that balance sheet based on a promise, based on a nice speech. They want to see actual change. And I think if we do that, I believe the business sector's balance sheet will actually respond. Well, they they won't uh, act on promises anymore, having acted on promises enough times in the past. Mike, uh, your your, uh, glass half full Take? My glass half full is very simple. I think I agree with Kevin. Only one sector was negative. That's the electricity, gas, and water, or utilities. So a broad recovery, certainly. But I still call it a recovery. It's not growth yet. We haven't uh, got those 2019 levels back and gone up there. And, um, yeah, I think, you know, a lot of talk that I'm getting and, and my feeling is that people are looking and, and expecting something from the president Uh, to do whether it's locking up people um, or whether it's implementing, as Kevin said, I I think they're just waiting to see action. And then I think things can come into play. And the one thing, yes, um, our companies have a lot more money uh, in their bank accounts um, as a percentage of GDP than most emerging markets. We also have not borrowed as much Um, The emerging market borrowing for companies is 90% of GDP, generally speaking. But I take out China because that's a bit of a a misdemeanor offense. China is very high, but then comes in at about 80% according to the bank, 80, 70 something percent according to the Bank of International Settlements. But we're at 40%. So we still have room. So if you can get that confidence back and if you get that, those first things that grow and take hold, the whole situation can change quite a bit. So when we're at 19, 20% savings to GDP, I'm talking about the private sector, you know, you're looking at others being about 12%. So there's that 8% that can go in, and then there's that other 30, 35% that can be borrowed if I look at our peers. Um, but I, I 100% think we've got a lot of hope, a lot of things that we can do right, but you need a government that proves itself. And I think every time we just look at this latest digital vibe situation, then it breaks down that confidence again. And then we have to sort of rebuild again from the start virtually. But I think there is a lot of hope in South Africa. I don't think, um, you know, it's all just negative. 
but we need proof of action. We need proof of implementation. And then I think we could go and see the sort of 5 6 7% growth again. We might just turn on a ticky. Well, from uh, your lips, Mike Schussler, Kevin Lings, and Stephen Nathan, to God's ears. Ted Blom uh, never shirks from controversy, and indeed he hasn't been doing so recently. While South Africa, or certainly parts of it, shiver uh, with more load shedding, uh, Ted reckons that Eskom isn't telling us the whole truth. Uh, Ted, nice talking with you. Just before we go into this conversation, what has made you so obsessed about Eskom? Where does this all come from? Uh, it's very simple. Uh, I used to work for a world-class Eskom uh, about 30 years ago under John Marie and Ian McRae, uh, both doctors. And, uh, and in, for, in fact, uh, Mick Davis was there at the time as well, and I reported to him. And uh, it, it hurt my heart when I went back there in 2006 to 2008 uh, on the basis that they needed help with uh, regenerating their coal pl- uh, plan. And uh, I saw corruption left, right, and center. I just couldn't believe it. And uh, I raised it with the authorities, uh, very uh, popular names that uh, I'll only mention to the Zonda Commission when I get there one day, if, if ever. Uh, and um, they told me to shut up and go away. And uh, I then said, well, that isn't what my father taught me. And I went public and I went to carte blanche. And from there on, I guess it's all history. How do you earn a living, though? Well, certainly not from doing Eskom work. Um, no, I, I do a little bit of consulting uh, on the mining side. Uh, I've done some lectures around the world uh, on uh, the MBA program in uh, advanced mining. And uh, I've done some conferences on uh, or, or uh, workshops on uh, energy. And I, in fact, I'm doing one next Monday to the asset managers of this country and another one on the 20th, I believe, to the other, to the balance of the asset managers. So, uh, yeah, and they pay me a fee. In a different world, though, you would love to no doubt be working at a Eskom that is more efficient than the one that we seem to have at the moment. Uh, certainly. I mean, I recall it's a 2010 uh, nursery hearings uh, where Mr. Damas was uh, in charge. Uh, Mike Deitz, who's now deceased, unfortunately, but was the generation manager with the best operating statistics within Eskom at over 95% availability. And I offered our services free of charge right in the public eye. And they said to us, we'll get, we'll get back to you. And, of course, we're still waiting. And in, in the meantime, Mike's deceased. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's the way Eskom operates. Uh, they were corrupt then. They've been corrupt since 2006 when I went back, uh, as I said, for my third stint at Eskom. And it just got worse from there. So what's going on right now? You tweeted yesterday that we're actually at load shedding level six, not at, load shed, uh, at stage two, uh, as Eskom has been telling us. Okay, so let's go back a little bit. Uh, what I've done is, uh, because I had uh, operating models of uh, Eskom back from 30 years ago, I've updated them a little bit in terms of costing and in terms of reliability. And uh, I've taken it upon myself to warn the public of South Africa whenever load shedding is imminent. And I've been doing so for more than 10 years. And uh, with a lot of luck, uh, I've been nearly spot on every time. And uh, last Sunday, I warned people that there was load shedding imminent in the week ahead. And on Tuesday, I went out and I said, well, I'd be surprised if it's not uh, worse than level four load shedding. And lo and behold, uh, Eskom kept it at level two. And I was totally perplexed by this because, as I said, I've yet to be proven wrong. And um, so I did a quick poll on Thursday night at 10 o'clock. It it dawned upon me that that's the way to go. And I asked people from around the country to share their load shedding experiences with me. My daughter, who lives in Santon, had had six hours of load shedding. 
uh, which certainly doesn't fit onto any of the Eskimo schedules. And um, uh, by 7 o'clock on Friday morning, when I was due for an ENCA uh, TV interview, um, I had my, my results, and that was that for throughout the country, there were numerous uh, people, uh, over 50. I don't, I don't claim to, to be a, a, a balanced uh, uh, poll, but uh, I didn't want a balanced poll. I just wanted confirmation. And uh, all these people not, not, uh, not only gave me their load shedding experiences, which were horrific, uh, but all, those that I were in doubt with, uh, that I doubted, I asked them to send me their schedules. And their schedules didn't uh, you know, correlate with uh, the experiences. So I then went out and said, well, somebody's lying to us. And I've subsequently got hold of Eskom's operating stats. And notwithstanding that they only declared uh, level two, which is anyway a lie because it was over 2,000 megawatts. And if you know the regulations, uh, level two load shedding is up to 2,000 megawatts. And they've been consistently underreporting that for more than a year. And, um, yeah, I found out that uh, the, the system, uh, a shortfall, was 5,136 megawatts on Wednesday evening. And um, so I've had that fight with Eskom previously on Sally Badetsch on the ENCA, uh, where I think uh, I won the day in that um, Eskom then told everybody that they don't count uh, voluntary load shedding with industry. And my argument is it's still a cost to the country. You know, it's no use to have a voluntary load shedding uh, uh, quietly behind the scenes with certain heavy industries. And then pe- people wonder why they're shedding jobs and disinvesting. It's because they can't face the, the, the brunt of uh, the cost of load shedding. So it's on that basis that, uh, and, and the polls that I had, that the people had had more than six hours of load shedding in, in various parts of the country, that I called Eskom out. And I, and I maintain my facts. And in fact, I'm about to ask Nurse to do an audit. Okay. And, uh, and you added to that by saying, do does Eskom think the public are stupid? And I guess in this information age, information is very freely available. But why would you make a comment like that? Well, absolutely, because Eskom holds forth that uh, they only – in fact, uh, Sikonati replied to me eventually when I challenged him, and, and he sent me the schedules for level two load shedding. Uh, and I said, well, that's patently not what the people have experienced. Mm. Well, when uh, On a different point, we had Neil Froneman uh, in our virtual studio a couple of weeks ago saying that he's been battling for almost a decade now in trying to be able to provide for himself, for Sibanya Stillwater, for their own mines. But he is given a a rejection from the Department of uh, Mineral Energy Affairs to build a plant that can produce anything more than 10 megawatts, uh, which he says is useless for them. They need 50 upwards. Are you seeing any change in uh, government's attitude? We did hear from uh, uh, President Ramaphosa recently that he is now, or certainly the the headlines were saying he's now entering that uh, discussion. But it it does appear as though this has been going on for far too long and uh, one needs a change on it. Absolutely. I mean, uh, on the basis of the the dire failing of of government and the ANC in particular because they hold the levers of government – uh, to satisfy the, the energy needs of this country, I'm on record of saying open up the grid uh, because otherwise we're going to lose our in the heavy industry. Uh, the only company that uh, purportedly uh, has made some progress on getting uh, alleviation from the caps, that, and there are really artificial caps uh, which are now under the control of Minister Montash, is Goldfields. And, uh, well, Goldfields, you'll recall, also gave a lot of shares and, and benefits uh, to certain senior ANC politicians, including Mrs. Mbete. Uh, 800 million rands worth of uh, shares. 
So I don't know if they had to do the same thing again to get their allocation, but I just it's totally preposterous that uh, we can't get access to energy. And then they still ex- expect new companies to come and invest. I mean, I get inquiries regularly from overseas companies, and my message to them is don't be mad. Uh, you, you, you're nuts to think you're going to invest here and have access to solar power. It's not possible. And as we go forward, even under the new ESCO management, it's getting less and less possible every year, as we've seen the EAF has declined in the last year to – well, this week, uh, last week, uh, to below 60%. Okay, so let me understand this just as a, as a South African citizen. We have a provider of electricity which cannot provide the electricity that the country wants, yet when industry says, let us provide for ourselves, they're not allowed to do that. I'm trying to square a circle, or is this just craziness in governance, or is it something temporary that will get fixed? I'm reluctant to 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 lift the cap, uh, but there is, in fact, uh, I'm assured, from the innards of the of the party, uh, a, a game plan, and the game plan is to throttle Eskom, and to have the party players uh, resurrect a new energy industry, uh, where they will dominate uh, the game, uh, and uh, of course that is not in the interest of industry in the country, but it is in the interest of those who are feeding at the trough. And that game plan has been given to me by very, very, very senior uh, people who are uh, very well versed in the energy sphere. But that sounds like a conspiracy theory. Surely uh, the the caters cannot be that that doff to think that they could get away <laughs> with something like that. Where are they going to get the investment capital I, if from? I, if, I, if I got this, if I got this plan off the street, I would have agreed with you. As I said, I got it from very, very uh, people who are very, very well versed in the industry. And, and certainly don't play games. Ted, just to close off with, we are in the final throes of the 12J uh, tax incentive uh, scheme. It ends on the 30th of June, but there's quite a lot of investment that's being made in solar energy through these tech, uh, 12J tax incentive schemes and other uh, industry players coming in to the solar market to provide more electricity. Is that not... Uh, sowing the seeds of Eskom's destruction because in the end if you can get solar energy at a cheaper price than Eskom and all of these players say they can do so uh, then where will Eskom be in 5, 10, 15 years time? No, uh, of course it's going to harm Eskom but uh, not not entirely because I think uh, people are only uh, addressing half of the cake uh, I, I don't know where you're sitting today. I'm sitting in Joburg, and it's pretty overcast, and there's no wind blowing. So I don't know how you're going to get renewable energy into the grid uh, that's dispatchable. Uh, and those who talk to the, the option of batteries, uh, I mean, I can boldly say that I've just done uh, research for my paper that I'm going to deliver next Monday to see where the, the storage industry is. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm uh, assured that there's not one utility-sized battery available anywhere in the world. Uh, the stuff that Eskom wants to do at 8,000 uh, 8, uh, uh, megawatts or 8 uh, gigawatts is experimental stuff. Uh, so, uh, yes, uh, solar might be, might be uh, cheap, but if it's, if it's not available, it doesn't, help you. it doesn't help the case at all. And that's part of the, the renewable lie that's been touted around South Africa. And all that's going to happen is that Eskom will become the, the supplier of the last resort. And guess what? Their prices will more than triple uh, if they're going to only supply peak power because they have to cover their costs for running during the day and during the night. So, uh, yeah, it, uh, it might be a solution for those touting the, the, the renewable solution, uh, but it's not going to help the end consumer because uh, you're going to be 
penalized through the roof uh, for the times that you're really uh, in dire need of energy. Sikunati Manshasha joins us now. Lovely to be talking with you, Sikunati. I guess uh, one of the guys with the toughest job in South Africa, we've said that many times, uh, there's there's, uh, confusion about... How much longer are we going to carry on with load shedding? With uh, your boss, uh, Andre Dorator, saying maybe it'll all be over by September. What's the story? Alec, let's, let's be very clear here. Andre would never say it will be over by September. What he has said and what ESCOM continues to say is that this maintenance, reliability maintenance that is underway currently, most of it will have uh, its effects showing uh, in the in the last quarter of the year, starting in September. That is when you will have a significant reduction. Certainly, it will not be eliminated by that point. So, how, what kind of a winter should we be preparing ourselves for? The, the winter we are going to have uh, like, uh, is really, unfortunately, as we have said again uh, uh, religiously, that it is going to be a very cold winter. And we are going to have to endure load shedding, unfortunately. Uh, ESCOM is doing everything that is possible to limit uh, any load shedding. But uh, the reality is we will keep coming to the people of South Africa and announce load shedding. As we just have this afternoon, Alec, uh, we, we, we are implementing stage two for this evening. It's quite possible that for the rest of the of the week, we will have to implement load shedding. It is, as I have said, a, a dead certainty now that throughout this winter, we will continue to have load shedding. And we may only see some reprieve, not total elimination, during the last quarter of the year. Sigurnati, I'm sure you've picked up uh, that one of your most outspoken critics, Ted Blom, is saying that it isn't level two. It's actually uh, load shedding uh, level six at the moment. I, I, I have no doubt that uh, as being a straight shooter like you are, this kind of gets under your skin. Alec, uh, it's, uh, what is really uh, annoying is to be uh, spending valuable time when we could be talking to the people of South Africa about uh, uh, real matters that really do affect the people uh, correctly and accurately. Uh, Ted Blom said on, on, on SAFM on Friday night, uh, he said the basis for that allegation that he made was he ran a poll on Twitter and 50 respondents said they get load shed more than ESCOM actually announces. And he he pointed at at Wednesday this past week, I think it was the 3rd of June. That was the day, and he mentioned specifically in Gauteng Center and Eguruleni. This, uh, Alec, was exactly on the day when uh, the when City Power, which is the agency of the municipality of the city of Johannesburg, announced to its customers in Sentin that it was having problem distributing electricity to their areas. This was also on the day when both uh, ESCOM and uh, the Ekuruleni municipality made an announcement and told the residents of Ekuruleni in the east of Gauteng that the municipality was having problems with electricity provision. So it was not a matter of load shedding. And, and so 
certainly back back in the day analysts and experts were people who actually went to work and and spoke only about facts and what they have seen not people who then would come to the radio and say it's not me saying that it's the 50 people that contacted me escom has implemented stage two load shedding on a daily basis we communicate this uh, the, the production statistics which corroborate everything that we have said we would do uncomfortable as it is the reality is we escom is having problems uh, big problems with uh, regards to the provision of electricity uh, but what we do uh, ask for is for uh, uh, analysts and experts to be objective and to be honest. Uh, no one is enjoying implementing load shedding. Nobody, even the municipalities that were having problems in the areas that Mr. Blom was talking about, they definitely are not enjoying uh, their customers sitting without electricity, whatever the reason. And the last point I wish to make, of course, we accept that uh, we, we may tell people why they do not have uh, power. The reality is the, the end user does not really care, and, and that is something we have to live with. Mm. Sikonati, just uh, so that we can understand better, where is Eskom standing on the provision of power by outsiders? In other words, we had Neil Froneman from Sibanya Stillwater on our show last week. And he said he would love to put together his own power plant, but the cap is at 10 megawatts. Is Eskom saying we want more power producers or is it still sticking to the old school, which was we will produce all the power in South Africa because we best at it? Thank you for the question, Alec. The, the, the first point to note, uh, just for information purposes, is that in South Africa, the uh, provision or the procurement of a new infrastructure rests solely with the Department of uh, Minerals and Energy. That, by law, is the competence of the energy, which uh, of the department. Uh, ESCOM itself still needs to be licensed if it were to build a power station today. It would need a license from the uh, from this Department of Mineral Resources and Energy. Now, we, we can only contribute a, a view and encouragement uh, to the policy, which the, the, the department is at liberty to ignore or take as it pleases. ESCOM has specifically and actively uh, lobbied the government to increase uh, this to 50 megawatts, uh, the, 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 the exemption. We, it, the success has even been that the state president in his State of the Nation address said this is what the government was going to do. That's what Cyril Ramaphosa uh, announced to the country uh, as a result of ESCOM's uh, encouragement and as a result of ESCOM's input into the energy policy. But that's as far as ESCOM's role can uh, can go in the matter of procuring new energy. Thanks for clarifying that and a little bit of good news to end this conversation with Sikonati Manchasha is the spokesperson for ESCOM. Langa Madonko joins us now. He's a director of the South African Venture Capital Association. Langa, you guys must have been pretty busy recently with the whole 12J story. Uh, but today we want to talk to you more about the controversy around the sale of uh, Burger King, uh, which has come into difficulty with the Competition Commission. Now, just by way of the process, 
When a, a company who's a member of your association, a venture capital business, wants to acquire, or a private equity business, wants to acquire another business, when does it become notifiable? When does the venture, does the competition commission uh, get involved? Um, so in most instances, right, um, there are two uh, angles that one can follow. The first one is you can engage the competition commission up front uh, through your attorneys to kind of get uh, an understanding, a sense and a feel of what the process would look like based on the quantum of the transaction, the transacting parties. Um, but the most common approach is that once you've reached commercial terms and once you've signed um, the legal documents, it becomes one of the conditions precedents for the deal to be considered conclusion concluded for you to submit um the terms of the transaction uh and your proposed uh guidelines as relates to um the transaction to the competition commission for them to consider and then give their approval so it's generally quite uh close to the end uh of of, of the transaction that the competition commission becomes involved and in the past people would have thought that it uh, if there wasn't any competition issues then being called the competition commission meant that the deal would go through but that doesn't seem to be the case anymore particularly what's happening now with burger king yeah no so you know the competition commission has come out and said it looked at the public interest uh, elements um and i think the biggest challenge that we face is um, a mentor of mine used to say a businessman can do business in any form of uncertainty. You find certain businesses thriving within an environment of war. You find businesses thriving uh, during hurricanes and droughts and so forth, as long as you are certain what the circumstances are. And in this instance, uh, we have been summarily told that it was a public interest issue with regards to the ownership. We don't have an understanding of what weighting was applied to the other public uh, interest elements, what weighting was applied to the competition elements, to the commercial elements of this transaction, and to the outright benefit on a holistic economic perspective. And therefore, I think we argue from a perspective of what we want more than anything else is clarity on the policy and its application. Uh, because more than anything else, that is what determines um, our ability to do business within the different frameworks. Because does it mean that when we are exiting it, we have to find a BE buyer of equal or better a BE shareholding? And therefore, we understand looking at our present environment that that's a quite a thin market. Do we then have to structure our transactions understanding that from the onset, we have to be pricing in a discount at the point of exit uh, because we might not necessarily be able to achieve the same commercial returns um, that we are looking for because we can't go to international markets. We can't go to uh, less empowered entities. And those are the issues that we are trying to get an understanding from the commissioner for. And we welcome the opportunity to have a discourse with him and a discourse with the Department of Trade and Industry, who are um, the entity that houses the Competition Commission, to get to a point of understanding on this issue. Uh, in other words, what one is looking for here is certainty, because without certainty, you cannot do business. Of course, uh, the president is on a drive to attract foreign investment, and as a consequence of that, there's a lot at stake here.
You've been listening to the Power Hour, brought to you by the team at Biz News.